Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today I have the fitness maverick in Gareth Sapspeed and I am so excited to have him on because training and program design is something that's swiped aside because there's a million different programs out there that you can just click download on and when you do that, you'll find mumbo jumbo circuits of 15 to 20 reps that are literally just exercises thrown at the wall to see what sticks with no real focus on, I guess, long-term physique goals and how to program for that, which is what we are going to be talking about today. But the fundamental piece of all of this is the fact that when you don't have the programming in place so that you can program for the long term, that's when people hit plateaus. That's when people wonder why they're not seeing results. They burn out, they lose motivation, they program hot, and they just get frustrated. They're not seeing results. And the goal of all of this is longevity. And in five years' time, when you're burnt out from just trying everything and feeling like there's no real purpose to what you're doing, then what? So with that, here is Gareth. I'll let him introduce himself and kick this off with the mistakes that women make when programming themselves and going at it without a coach, as well as even with a coach, the mental mistakes they make. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I won't bore you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit about my, my background so you can understand where I'm kind of coming from. Um, so I've been a strength coach and physique coach for about the last 15 years now. I'm, uh, I'm hopefully um, older than, than what I look, um, or younger than what I look. Um, and um, look, it's one of those where I originally started in a strength and conditioning background. I was working with um, elite, mostly rugby players, football players, um, and um, just ended up enjoying the, uh, the physique aspect of training a lot more. And then as I did that, I picked up more physique focused clients. Let's be honest, you know, everyone wants to, to look great naked. And that's kind of the, 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 the line that I use with, with a lot of my, my branding, my social media and things like that, because it just says exactly what it is. You know, everyone wants to look great naked, whether it be for the beach. You know, obviously, you know, you don't want to be naked on the beach. Some beaches you can, but you, you, you know what I mean? Everyone wants to feel good in their clothes, in or out of their clothes. Um, whether it be from you know your, your average Jill and Joe to um, you know to, to elite physique competitors, you know I train especially figure pros, bikini athletes, wellness athletes, and, and things like that, all the way up to the the Olympia level now. So um, that's kind of a, a brief into the background. You know, academically speaking, we could talk about qualifications and things. Yeah, I've got a master's degree. I'm a, I'm a CSCS with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, we've got a few books to my name, um, inter internationally published author, and uh, this is an exclusive. I've just got another book deal. Um, I won't tell you what it's about or who it's with um, because I'm not technically allowed to say yet. Um, but yeah, there, there's various things I, I kind of do. But the majority of my clients and who I work with um, in the past and, and currently are, are, are mostly women. Um, and as you know, you know, women like to like to train glutes, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's all about glutes, core. Um, and it'd be really good just to kind of go into that and, and take a bit of a dive into that and 
some of the mistakes, especially you know, especially women make. You know, we all we all make them, but there are some specific mistakes that that women tend to make more more than men. Um, so it'd be really great to kind of dive into that. But I'd like to kind of turn this around on you a little bit for a minute and kind of go off of there and ask you what are some of the biggest mistakes you made when you were first starting out however long ago that that was and some that you you really recognize like now are like you know I wish I'd done that a little bit better I wish I'd done it in in that way so what what mistakes did did you make when you first started out start out I'm sort of really grateful that I studied exercise sports science before I started. So I learned all of the ways that you should be programming. And I started off with my three times eight to 10 and I kept doing the same circuit and I repeated the same program for about 12 weeks before I then moved on to something else. So I did have a little bit of an advantage, thank you degree. But where I did start screwing up was when I started I guess you chase a carrot and then you get so hypnotized by the carrot that you lose the actual rational brain. And that's when I started to add on more reps, add on more sets, let's do more drop sets. I didn't feel that burnout. I'm going to keep doing more. And then the whole concept of you're meant to stimulate, not annihilate your muscles kept getting yelled at me, but I was stubborn and I still kept doing that. But that was one of the biggest mistakes that I made thinking that the more, the better, just keep throwing more and more at it. Just train twice a day, train six, seven days a week. And that is something you see a lot of women do as well. They think the more, the better. And the more glute exercises you throw at it, the better. So that was probably the biggest mistake that I made. It, it It's one of those, I'll, I'll kind of go off on a tangent here, but just use myself as an example. We love training that's also the problem we love training and you know right now so I uh, I'll take you back a little bit so I I regularly get my hormones tested okay so I see exactly where I'm at I, I tend to every kind of six months or so just see where I'm at make sure I'm like in kind of normal levels you know especially like testosterone free testosterone as, as a male my age um, and, and things like that so I recently had it tested and um, it's very very low Okay, right now for some reason. Okay, probably because I've got a 14-month-old child. I'm not sleeping the best. But on top of that, my training. I love training. I'm probably lifting far too much. I love training seven days a week. I push myself hard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's one thing. If is if Coach Gareth was talking to client Gareth, Coach Gareth would be like, okay, Gareth you need to significantly reduce your training volume. You need to be doing less because less is more. The problem is Gareth, client Gareth, loves training so much. He feels great for training that he's almost ignoring coach Gareth. Gareth, client Gareth, isn't a very coachable client. <laughs> but just, just to kind of put it back to the point that, you know, even now, and as, as much as we know, we can give ourselves advice but we don't always take our own advice. And that's why, you know, you, you come back to at the beginning mentioning, you know, the benefits of, of a coach. Sometimes you just need a coach just to tell you what to do because you're more likely to listen to a coach rather than actually listen to yourself. Even if you are giving great advice to yourself, you're not always likely to listen to it. And, you know, so, so that's a really, really great point. 
that is actually a really good tie around to the whole coach thing because we are our own worst enemies and this is why it like people think that coaches are just for getting on stage or for if you have these massive goals but no they cut the time down they stop you doing dumb shit they stop you wasting your money but bringing it around to the fact that like most people can't relate to you or to me they don't love training but what stops them and keeps them stubborn which I was kind of the same this is future on but more so for the dieting aspect we're scared of losing gains we're scared of gaining fat we're scared of getting worse so we don't listen to what we know we need to do because what if I go back to where I was what if I lose the gains what if all this hard work that I just put into my glutes or put into this or put into that just falls off Absolutely. Let's let let's take things let's take kind of take things back and, um, and break things down. Now you mentioned like rep ranges. Okay, it'd be really cool if we can like dive into different components within programming and and common mistakes actually made within that. Now you said obviously because of because of your background, you know, from from the get go, you were, you know three sets of eight and, and and doing things like that. Now one of the most common mistakes that I see, especially with women, is three sets of eight, all oh, that would make you bulky, you know, or three sets of, you know, three sets of eight to 12, hitting that kind of bodybuilding type rep range, got to be doing sets of 20, 25 reps, 30 reps, you know, so we can, we can become more, um, you know, more defined and build, you know, muscle tone. So that's a really, really common mistake. So tell me the, what you kind of got out of doing that, those, those low rep ranges at the start, what kind of made you go like, you know what, I need to be hitting three sets of eight, three sets of 10. Was it more just the understanding of, you know, that's what I need to be doing to, to, to achieve X. What was kind of your rationale and, and, and made you, I suppose, sold you on doing that as opposed to what others might end up doing when they're first starting out, females in particular, and, and trying to hit that you know, three sets of 20 rep range, 25 reps and things like that. What, what in your head was like, yes, this is, this is the right way to do things. I remember sitting down at the little pin loaded leg press. Cause I didn't like the man machines downstairs. So I used to stay with the little pin loaded female circuit things upstairs, but I was sitting on the pin machine with my leg press and my notes and I'm writing down how much weight I do for each one. And all I knew was, six to 10, push it. I, I used to push pretty much to failure until I couldn't get a single rep out after that. But my rationale was this was so much easier to push myself to failure with. If I did anything less, I didn't feel like I could effectively push to failure. And if I did anything more, I felt like knowing now, thinking back, it makes so much sense. I felt like I fatigued before I actually got to put a hundred percent into every single rep. And I guess that's the biggest pitfall with a lot of people when they pick rep ranges is that they don't realize you're meant to select the appropriate load for the rep range that you use. And there is a cost to every rep range, whether it's like actual CNS fatigue, which probably comes more from the high rep range because you're mentally fatiguing yourself and the fatigue that comes with the lower rep range, which is more so the fact that you're fatigued but you haven't got enough stimulus out of it overall. Yeah, uh, look, we we know from a lot of, you know, particularly Brad Schoenfeld's research that you can build muscle at six reps. You can build muscle at 30 reps if you wanted to. 
However, you have to be very, very close to failure, you know, one to two reps short of failure. And actually, you know, hitting that, that rep range maximally, you know, putting as, as much work as you can into that rep range. And as you say, if we're chasing 20, 25, 30 reps, or even, to be honest, anything over 15 feels like cardio to me sometimes. But if, if we're hitting that higher rep range, the reality is that kind of fatigued or even mental boredom sometimes kicks in a lot quicker than actually true failure kicks in or that one to two reps short of failure. So if I said to okay, if I said to you, do 20 reps of something, okay, you'll select a weight that you think you can do 20 reps with, and, and, and most people would. They'd hit 20 reps with that one and then maybe set to, okay, they might hit another 20 or, or close to that. And they might end up doing three sets of 20 and be like, you know what? Yep, tick that box, done my three sets of 20. Now, if instead, and, and, and you know from being an in-person trainer as well, if set three, you say to that person, okay, now do 30 reps, right? They could probably do 30 reps with what they were previously doing 20 with because you've just suddenly given them permission that they can hit 30. And also you've got a good gauge that, you know what, they've probably got a few extra reps in the tank than what, than what they're doing here. So what's actually been happening is they've been doing three sets of 20, feeling tired, feeling fatigued, feeling drained from the set. You know, the, the, there's, there's no denying that they're going to feel drained from, say, three sets of 20 with that weight. But they're not hitting close enough to the optimal stimulus that that set isn't a stimulating set or they're not getting the most out of that set because really instead of a a 2022 kind of um um kind of rep um strength level of strength they're actually or or or, or rep max they're they're hitting it with more with a 30 rep max so you know and that's when you say you know we, if we bring those rep ranges down you're actually more likely to hit closer to failure and for it to be an actual true stimulating set because it's far easier to get closer to failure if we're doing 10 reps, say 8 reps, 10 reps, 12 reps than it is to get true failure or close to true failure on 22, 25, 30 reps, even though we can build muscle in that higher rep range, which is what we're after at the end of the day, we're just not psychologically going to be getting within that you know, within that stimulating threshold that we want to achieve it. And just to go off on, a, off on a little bit of a tangent on that, at the end of the day, we're trying to build muscle, right? You know, as, 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 as much as we want to use words with, with females like shape and tone and things like that, we're actually trying to build muscle tissue, okay, or lean muscle tissue. And to do that is, you know, based on science and, and what we know we need to be hitting those lower rep ranges you know broadly eight to 15 with the odd foray down to five six reps or up to 30 reps sometimes if we want to providing you know we're, we're hitting that, that 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 stimulus um you know we, we we build muscle shape we're also burning more calories as well you know for every you know, for every pound of muscle that you have, you're probably going to be burning an extra 50 calories per day because it's metabolically active tissue. You know, it's there's, there's all things like that, that that kind of work work together. And, and you know, the, the benefits of building muscle is just, just massive. The thing that I hate when people say that it doesn't burn that much is that they're negating the fact that the stronger you get and the more muscle you build, 
like I, when I was back in the actual training power building days and I had all of that capacity in me, I was burning probably double what the usual person would, would burn in a session because of the actual capacity I built up, the volume that I was able to train, not because I was trying to stay lean and long and toned by doing these, these high rep ranges. You mentioned a lot of really good things there. The other, bringing it back to the rep ranges as well, there's people that are just chasing weight on the bar or chasing, I wonder what my one rep max is, or I wonder what my, I can lift this, I can lift that. It's, it's also the fact that we want to build muscle at the end of the day and chasing just a number is negating the fact that it's actual tension on the target muscle that builds the muscle that you want to build. And this can bring it back to the fact that a lot of people haven't got their bodies in the right position to be able to load that muscle. Like, for example, there might be an exercise that doesn't properly target a muscle the way it should because you have other weaknesses in other areas and you'll plateau a lot sooner if you don't do the groundwork before you then build it up. But that's just bringing it back to the fact that when you're trying to build the body that you want, the whole idea is to be able to train close to failure because we want that tension. We want to get sufficient tension. You need to force change. And you mentioned as well with the, like building the leaner body, it's, it's so easy to shove the weight onto other muscle groups when you're fatigued, when your brain taps out before the muscles you're trying to target do. And a lot of people do that when they're not even thinking about whether like what muscles are working. Actually, I think that's the biggest issue I see with a lot of people. They're not thinking about what muscles are working. They're just thinking, let's just rep this out. Let's do marathon reps. Let's just get the weight from A to B. Okay. But what muscle is working? Let's initiate with that muscle. And a row is a great example of this. People usually just jerk it or a pull down. People usually just jerk it. What muscle is working? So then what needs to move first? The shoulder blade. And then what? It's not the hand, it's the elbow. Completely. Let, let's take it down to, because I know you're a big fan of them, let's take it to a glute bridge, right? You know, it's, it's an easy one. It's a really, really easy one to pick on. Because you know, I, love, I love the glute bridge hip thrust culture. Absolutely love it in terms of, I would argue it's the number one gateway exercise that is encouraged more women than any other exercise to lift heavy weights okay i would you know i would challenge that against any other exercise maybe a deadlift would come close in there or a chin up or a pull up would come close in there you know but with a chin up or a pull up you're not realizing actually how much weight you're lifting you're lifting your own body weight so but i would argue you know a, a, a glute bridge and a hip thrust are right up there now Exactly as you say, if we're just throwing weight on the bar and achieving personal bests week in, week out, that's, that's brilliant, right? That's great for motivation. You know, we want to come back to the gym again. We want to hit a little bit more, you know, we want to hit a little bit more weight and so on. And it causes us to be consistent as well, which, again, is great. You know, if we can stick with one exercise and we're seeing some continuous improvements with it for, say, eight weeks regardless of anything else we're going to see some improvements within that okay we're going to see some strength improvements we're going to see some physique improvements however and a glute bridge is a really good example of this 
there becomes a point with a glute bridge or a hip thrust. And just to so people understand, glute bridge, back on the floor, hip thrust, back on a bench, okay? Um, there becomes a point where we're lifting so much on the bar and focusing on lifting so much weight that actually the tension and the sensation of that contraction actually goes away from the glutes and more, not necessarily onto other muscles, although we can, we can talk about activation in a second, but more the focus goes away from the glutes and the focus becomes on moving the weight. Okay, so it becomes more of an external focus rather than an internal focus. It becomes more of a performance focus rather than actually what muscles are contracting, what muscles are actually working. Now, we know from research, the more internal focus we have, the more focus that we have on a certain muscle contracting, the more activation, the more EMG we're going to get within that muscle and arguably more, more targeted tension within that muscle as well. As soon as we start to have an external focus, it does improve performance more. So, for example, if I told you to um, jump as high as you can, okay, you're probably going to jump higher, me saying jump as high as you can, versus me saying um, contract your quads and glutes to jump, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's you're just going to get a better, better performance outcome and it's the same when we go down to those resistance exercises you're going to get a better performance outcome when you focus on the weight that's on your hips and how much weight you're actually lifting rather than the actual targeted tension, tension sensation now the problem with that is what happens if we're focusing on the weight is that the activation switches to other muscles that we don't necessarily want to be as involved with that exercise now, glute bridge and a hip thrust, it's a you know, bent knee hip extension. The idea is that the hamstrings are, 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 are slack because we're in that bent knee position. We can't work our hamstrings too much compared to, say, a, a Romanian deadlift or something because our knees are bent. Our hamstrings are slack. We're isolating hip extension through our, our glutes more and especially hitting that, that, that top range, that shortened range at the top. So the idea behind the exercise is to target our glutes within that shortened range in particular at the at the top of the exercise and to do that sometimes actually requires lifting a little bit less than what you might typically be lifting to achieve a personal best that's not to say that you can't do some personal best sets and you can't still feel that target target muscle working whilst achieving those personal best sets but as soon as you're not feeling that target muscle contract and work then you know personally I wouldn't be lifting much more than that. The only reason I'd be lifting much more than that is if we're in more of a performance-based phase, you know, strength-based phase and, and so on. But as soon as we lose that targeted sensation, we're shifting it to other muscles that we don't necessarily want to be working. And also what tends to happen with a glute bridge and a hip thrust is we're weaker at the top than we are at the bottom, just in those final few degrees of hip extension, okay? Because we're always going to fail first in that shortened range. So what tends to happen is, and, and it, you know, if you've got a great coach now, you can see it, but most people won't see it that much. We tend to just be a few just degrees short or, you know, maybe a centimeter short at the top, just when that load gets too much. So we're really missing out on fully shortening that muscle because we're thinking too much about the weight that we're actually lifting or we're jerking the weight up just to get it through, you know, use momentum to get to the top of the lift. So, you know, a glute bridge and a hip thrust, I hate to 
pick on it, but it's a really good example of one where you need to decide if you're doing it from a performance aspect. If I'm coaching a sprinter, right, okay, we're, we're going to be focusing on how much weight you're lifting. We're going to be driving those hips through hard with those hip thrust and grip bridges. If I'm working with a physique athlete, okay, someone that's going to be on a, on a bodybuilding or bikini stage, then we're going to be slowing down the reps a little bit. We're going to be focusing on the tension. We're going to focus on maximizing that, that targeted tension, getting all the way to the top, getting that squeeze. But then as you pointed out a few minutes ago as well, actually initiating that movement at the bottom by contracting our glutes first before we actually perform the movement, okay? Rather than just move the bar, we contract that muscle first. We kind of give that muscle a bit of a heads up. And then we drive those glutes through and then we get that nice hard squeeze at the top. It's really powerful how much it can change the, like you can make a lightweight. I remember you said, like, I said this to you and you said it back to me as well. I find two kilos really freaking damn heavy for my delts doing lateral raises, doing rear delt raises, because I'm focusing so much on where I want that tension. And Ben Pack actually I watched him with his chest training way back in 2015 and he's the one that taught me all about the initiation he's like what does the pec do the pec attaches from here to here that is what starts the movement so stop flapping about your arms and think about getting the shoulder into the middle of your chest and then that was literally what I thought about the whole time and I can because of that I can actually engage my chest without doing anything because like I've connected so well yeah. to it over the years. And that's the thing. You need to be okay to learn a new skill. And people hold themselves or their worth or their value or how good they are or their failure or they're a winner because of a number on the bar. And I know my girls still do it no matter how many times I tell them. It's it's a hard habit to unlearn to stop just chasing the load because then what people do is they don't focus on the tempo or when they do, they rest a whole friggin' day or maybe a weekend in between each freaking rep. Like you need to keep the tension between the reps as well. You don't have a holiday between your reps and you don't force progress. The whole progressive overload thing, people wanting to chase load every single week, thinking that if they don't, they don't progress. Progressive overload is a consequence or I should say a benefit, but either way, a byproduct of you getting stronger. It's a byproduct of you showing up every single week. It's a byproduct of your muscles growing. It's a byproduct of you becoming better, which isn't just about forcing load, but hey, you're actually connecting to the muscle more. And some weeks you might not be able to do that. Some, and especially upper body, you might find something I find with my girls as well, but something I find with myself is I'll have a week, especially when I do upper lower split. I don't do an upper lower split now. I do full body, but when I did upper lower, something I was finding is that one week I'd be really strong. The next week I'd be weak. The next week I'd be really strong. The next week I would struggle again. And it'd be like this weird, weird cycle of just me being able to beast it. And then the next week not. And that's something that a lot of people would say, oh, I'm a failure. I did this. So then I add in extra reps or I add in extra sets without realizing how you're fatiguing yourself, not getting a stimulus that you need. So maybe you can talk about that before we talk about getting why it's so important to get your body into an optimal position first and maybe think about what you do before certain exercises to optimize the tension on the target muscle 
Yeah, um, one thing I or one thing I like to say often is find the muscle first, then load it. Right? You can't load a muscle efficiently unless you find it and have an understanding of where it is, what it does, and how it works. And 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 some people, you know, the the whole muscle activation thing before workouts, especially glute, glutes activation, you know, scapular activation thing. Now, I don't know your take on it. Now, I've written some stuff on it, and and there was a little bit of uh, published research I've, I've I've had kind of in that area. Okay, in terms of muscle potentiation. So the idea of doing something first. So if you do something first, let's say I do some. Uh, mini band walks with a resistance band, do some crab walks or something like that to activate my glutes. Okay. Now, by the way, I'm not going down the route of it's it's a load of BS. Okay. So bear with me here. Now, most people do that, and it, it tend. It, I think a lot of celebrities were doing it years ago. It picked up in the mainstream, and every single gym now, you know, you're doing your booty band stuff, doing your glutes activation stuff before you do before you do your workout because you know it activates your glutes. Now. It actually doesn't activate your glutes. It doesn't increase muscle activation. It doesn't by doing, for example, a set of um, set of something with booty bands and then doing a squat afterwards. You don't get high EMG. You don't get high muscle activation in your glutes after doing that. There's actually an argument there could actually be lower activation, but the, the research is questionable. However, what's happening, providing you're doing things well, providing you're using that exercise as an awareness exercise and not an exercise just to do it, burn it, whatever, burn out your glutes before you do something, it can help you find the muscle. So for example, let's say if um, I want to do my heavy hip thrusts, if I um, pop myself down on a bench and just do some single leg, body weight only hip thrusts, Okay, very, very, very simple. You could call it a warm up, you could call it activation work, you can call it what movement prep, you can call it whatever you want. But if I just do a few sets of those, no weight involved, and actually just have massive awareness of where I'm feeling that, the movement I'm actually performing, contracting my glutes first, initiating the movement with my glutes, feeling that sensation at the top, maybe having a hand on one butt cheek. It might look a little bit weird, but, you know, I highly recommend it. Have a hand, you know, have a few fingers palpate in one butt cheek just to make sure you found it, okay? You know where it is. You're feeling it, you know, similar. Yeah, you know, left and right feels the same today. Yeah, or left feels a little bit better than the right. Whatever you can, you can kind of work things out a little bit. Do a few sets of that, and then you take yourself to your hip thrusts. You know, do your warm up sets, do your ramp sets, whatever with your hip thrusts. Make sure you're feeling it on every set as you're ramping it up until you get to your top sets, your stimulation sets. That to me that is what that, what activation work is. That part you just said there, I need I need you to repeat that because that's so important. Every single warm-up you do, make sure you are feeling it. You're not just repping it out and warming up for the sake of warming up to get to the weight that you're going to use. Treat your warm-ups like they are real sets because they are going to give you better sets. And if you don't do that, why the hell are you even warming up anyway? You're just throwing weight around before the sake of saying, oh, I just did some weights before it. And I could I, I, I'm like laughing because that's exactly what I wanted to lead to next for people wanting to like bias the glutes more in exercises or feel the glutes more in exercises. I think the band, I actually think it is a load of bollocks, the banded bullshit. It's, yeah. it's, 
there is a purpose for putting bands on certain exercises. Like, yeah, put a band around your knees when you're doing hip thrusts. If you have an issue connecting to the the abduct the yeah the abductors to do it, but it doesn't mean you're going to grow glutes more. It's just allowing you to get more glutes out of the exercise because now you're actually cueing yourself to abduct, which means to push out your knees. So that's the purpose of it. It's not to give you better glutes. And that that's literally what I do. Like I figure out, okay, so what's taking over right now? I can't get full extension. Maybe I need to do a couch stretch or it, like for the leg press, whenever I have an issue with the leg press and my butt doesn't stop rounding under, maybe I need to do a lunge stretch like figure out where the limitation is. And it's not that you need to activate the glutes because you can activate them in a different exercise. And then as soon as you put yourself back into the problem exercise, you still have the very same damn problem. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the exact same as you with that thing. And that that's what, that's that goes back to having a coach. Like the whole don't stretch before you work out thing. Yeah, I'm like, that's a stupid idea. But if you need to stretch something out because it's inhibiting another muscle from working then you need to stretch that muscle before you work out so I'm on you with that one so what else would you do for when people want to feel their glutes more into an exercise say the lunge, the leg press or the the hip thrust or things that you see there yeah is you said a good one there actually the couch stretch okay now it, again, an, another pet peeve, okay, and, and it, it picked up when it might have been 15, 20 years ago, some research came out that said, you know, static stretch before a workout is you're going to have a worse workout, okay, or specifically reduces force production, reduces rate, rate of force development, power output, whatever, okay. Now, what it actually says is you may, and, and again, you know, you know what research is like, out of a group of probably 10 university students okay <laughs> but you you may reduce force output by maybe five six percent okay <laughs> but what happens is suddenly we hear and the main and then the mainstream here is you're going to reduce force output you're going to get a worse workout you're not going to be able to lift as much weight you know and and as soon as you hear things like you won't lift as much weight with your hip thrusts if you start static stretching beforehand. Oh, okay, best not static stretch. Okay, you've got to suddenly jump to that. Let's say 6% is correct, okay, and, and, and across the board. Let's be honest, that's not a massive difference if we are reducing force potential. That, however, is also only applicable to that target muscle. So that would only be applicable to me stretching my glutes out before doing a hip thrust, okay? So doing, I don't know, doing some kind of, uh, I don't know, throwing my knee on top of the couch and doing like a pigeon stretch or, or something like that and doing that, okay? Now, that's probably not something I would program anyway. However, you speak about a couch stretch or for people that don't know, like a, a half kneeling hip flexor style of stretch. And it might be static, it might be, you know, it tends to be like a PNF type stretch. It might be a little bit dynamic. You might hold it for 10 seconds, release, hold it for 10 seconds, release. There's a few ways you could do it. Now, if you're struggling to get to end range hip extension, okay, one of the big issues with that, or one of the big things that can cause that, obviously, is tight hip flexors, okay? Because your hip flexors won't allow you to fully extend your hips because either they're, they're short or they're on, on tension. Okay, or they're tight um, and it depends on your pelvic position etc they could be tight they could be on tension whatever either way 
if we're doing some kind of stretch that allows us to get a little bit more length within those tissues, then we're going to be able to improve hip extension. And if we can improve hip extension, then when we drop down into our hip thrusts, our glute bridges, we're going to be able to extend our hips a little bit better, a little bit further. And we're actually going to get our glutes, which are the other side of our hip flexors on our backside. We're going to get our glutes more fully shortened right at the top of that movement. So we can do a static stretch there that actually can increase the performance on our lift and can actually increase the, the sensation and the tension that we're feeling in that lift. So again, that, that, that's one of the big ones. Um, you know, there's a there's a few kind of other examples there. Um, you know, not, again, another big fan of you mentioned it when we talk about resistance bands. I don't see resistance bands as activation work. I see it as awareness work. I see it more as a resistance band is a cue. It's a cue to do something. It's you know, if your if your knees, yeah, if your knee if your knees are caving in, you know, during a um, during a squat there's nothing wrong with having a light resistance band to cue your knees to you know drive out more in a squat because it's again it's something to think about press my knees drive my knees out against that band you know there's nothing special happening there some people you know some people call it reactive neuromuscular training and things like that and think it's doing something special there I don't think it is. And the research tends to say that it's not really doing anything at all, apart from giving you that mental cue and something to think about, which then causes you to naturally correct your position. Not because some kind of wizardry is going on and, and, and you know, some, some magics happen and the resistance band has caused these muscles to activate more. No, it's because you've just got an enhanced awareness of that position and, and you can get yourself in a better position. Um, there are some that argue that a resistance band can take away from um, a, an exercise. So let's say, for example, if we do like a banded, heavy banded hip thrust, okay, we do a barbell hip thrust, throw a resistance band on there. And I've heard ridiculous statements like it confuses your glutes, you reduce <laughs> tension. I and, and I think you've spoken, you've actually spoken to some people. I won't mention any specific names or, or training camps. Um, but there are certain training camps that have suggested that, um, which is just ridiculous and, and pseudoscience. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, you know, th th there's various there's various methods I'm a fan of. Most of it, though, comes down to exercise selection for me and actually just selecting the right exercise that is well built for that person. OK, give you an example. A Barbell back squat, and I'll be honest, I don't, I don't program barbell back squats actually a heck of a lot for my physique athletes. I do program them, but not as much as some people might, because I, I tend to always find a better option for that person. But a barbell back squat, right? So a barbell back squat for one person could be a, an excellent quads exercise, okay? For another person, it could be a great glutes exercise. For another person, it's probably more like a lower back exercise. For another person, it could be some of those things, but at the same time, doing it for a couple of weeks back to back, you've got a cranky back, you've got cranky knees, your shoulders aren't feeling great, you know. So, again, it just goes down to exercise selection, and, and the squat's a good example of one where it can be a great exercise. It's an excellent exercise if you are well built for it, 
But it can also be a horrific exercise if you're not well built for it or if it's working in an area of your body that you don't want it to be working. Okay. And it's the same with, you know, you mentioned leg press, you know, a leg press, um, a leg press is one of those I tend to find it works well with a lot of people. There aren't a lot of people that don't do okay on a leg press or it's uncomfortable unless it's just a poorly designed leg press in itself. Um, but you might manipulate the exercise to target different areas a little bit more. So, for example, to be more quadriceps focused, you might bring your foot stance a little bit lower. You're looking to achieve maximal knee range of motion, active knee range of motion without your heels coming up. So you would select your. That is so important. The, the difference between you can bring this into the next part that you talk about, but there is a difference between range of motion for the sake of just getting range of motion and active range of motion. Yeah, completely. And, and you know, what? The, the leg press is a good example. You get, the amount of people and it's, it's more guys guys with their bellies that get all the way down <laughs> to the bottom and, and bounce it out that bottom position almost using their belly <laughs> that's not that's not staying within an active range of motion so you know they, they tend to get nice and deep lift nice and heavy they're moving a good amount of weight but those last two inches they've probably lost a lot of tension through their legs and most of it is coming off of almost just kind of pressing their knees against their belly just to initiate that, that first inch or two off the movement. So you, you, you're kind of losing a lot of the benefits of the exercise and go way too deep than what you need to. But then also going in that deeper range, range of motion than what you need to, you know, you're going into more of a posterior pelvic tilt, your butt comes off the bench, you're putting your low back at, at more of a risk. You know, it, there are so many negatives to that as well. I want to add to that as well. This also relates to people that are using momentum or not understanding control the damn rep, because if you're not controlling it, you're not going to get the most out of that last range anyway, because there there's no control there. It's you're just repping for the sake of repping. Like if you actually focus on, I, I love this. I'm going to start using it now. Find the muscle and work the muscle, because as soon as you find that muscle, you're going to focus on, okay, let's think about keeping it here. Okay, I don't feel it anymore. Let's just hold it here and then press up again. And I, I always touch myself before I do my glute hyperextensions. I just feel my butt. Yep, feeling it, feeling it. I go down, feeling it. Okay, cool, squeeze. Yep, let's grab the dumbbell. Let's execute. Like feel feeling it gets your mind to connect to it a lot better. So I, lo I love that part too. 100%. Look, find the muscle, then load it. OK, it, it really is always the key. And, and again, it's, it's one of the reasons we go back to exercise selection and we see at the moment there are a few certain camps, mostly on social media, that encourage you to do exercises in a very specific way. So um, let's say uh, if you want to target your rear delts, you have to you have to be using this arm path. OK, you have to be doing a rear delt fly with cables or whatever using this exact arm path okay just as an example i might be exaggerating but that's a, that's a good example now what if instead of using for example this arm path down here okay i actually feel my i personally feel my rear doubts if i'm more here or here or you know 10 degrees off or five degrees off of, of the exact arm path that's been suggested 
So if I do a few of my warm-up sets back here and they feel really good and I've, I've found that muscle, great, right? Continue loading it, you know, ramp up your sets, get to your top sets and move on. But if I experiment in those warm-up sets and actually even today, you know, versus yesterday, if today I'm feeling it maybe 5, 10 degrees, a little bit higher, Use, use that arm path also look you know if, if you're feeling a little bit um if your shoulders are feeling a little bit cranky you might need to stay away from a certain arm path right you might you need to find a new arm path to stick to generally speaking we obviously want to be using exercise and stick with exercises that load us in in the same way it's in the same angles as, as, as what we're used to week in week out we stimulate the same fibers we can we can overload those same fibers you know we, we get stronger in that movement pattern there's only about if i remember rightly there's about seven degrees carryover in joint angle to strength so for example um let's say i am um Let's say I, I bicep curl and want to get stronger at 90 degrees in my bicep curl. Okay, do some isometric holds at 90 degrees of elbow flexion doing a bicep curl. If I progress that weight up or, you know, overload week, week in, week out and, and, you know, try and get a good training plan in place to improve my strength at, 90, at a 90 degree joint angle, I'm probably actually only going to improve strength about seven degrees above or below that i'm not actually going to have much of strength transfer too far above or below that it's going to be around seven degrees so if we're changing the angles that we're training at all the time then we're probably not going to be training optimally or improving optimally so we do want to stay within kind of a, a certain range of the joint angles that we are training at and the arm paths and the, the hip angles and whatever that that, that we're training at but point being, the arm paths, the you know, the the um, foot stance, things like that, it's relative to you. You know, we shouldn't try and mimic the exact arm path, foot stance, whatever that someone that we're seeing on social media is doing, or a certain coach is promoting that we do. We need to experiment with that ourselves and find what works well for us. See what angles we. Um, we find those muscles at best and also stay away from injury as well. And that's obviously goes into the, the, the longevity side of things at the same time. It, everything you said, I'm like, that's so funny because I was thinking the exact same thing and bringing it back to why having a coach is so important. And yes, your feels can change every single week. Like one week I'd really feel my glutes, another week I wouldn't. One week I'd really feel the cables on my rear delts, one week I wouldn't have to keep fiddling around with it, which is why it's so important once again to use those warm-ups as real sets deloaded. Like, actually treat each rep like gold. Squeeze the muscle like it owes you money. And this, <laughs> Ben Pack. And it's funny because I had one of my girls, like, years ago, 2017, she called me saying, I'm crying in the bathroom. One of the trainers told me my squat shit. Because I told her that she shouldn't stand like this she should stand like this because I was actually watching her squat and that is where she needed to be. But the but the trainer told her, that's not how you squat. You need to squat like this, hip width and feet straight ahead. Now, nah, bro, like the way her hips are built, like she needs to, yeah. It's like everyone has a unique position for them, which once again, why having a coach is so important. And bringing it to what I really want to ask 
because I feel like just quickly on that actually just just quickly on that I've got a really great example okay and this is yeah money's involved in this so last Monday so I'm I'm with um his name's Ellis Genge okay England rugby player um, very, very well known in rugby in, in the rugby world. So I was with him. I'm, I've got a bit of a project going with him. And so he, he's injured right now. OK, now the reason he's injured is because for many years he's been performing Romanian deadlifts in a very certain way. OK, now a few days before <laughs> he was with me, he got injured because a coach of his, whose name I won't mention, but a strength and conditioning coach for England rugby completely changed the way he performed Romanian deadlifts. <laughs> and he got injured. Okay, So this is someone for 28 years or whatever has been hip hinging in, in, in a certain way and performing Romanian deadlifts maybe for the past 10, 15 years and, and very, very, very strong guy. But you've now taken him to a position that you think is better because, you know, in your head, you've got, you know, you in your head, you've got kind of what a Romanian deadlift should look like. Now, you've injured a guy who's on a good whack of money, who's contracted to England and who's contracted to obviously his his team as well and is out and can't train for for, for weeks now. So just because you're trying to get him to look exactly like what you think he should should look like you know so again you know these examples aren't just to to physique athletes physique competitors where you know we're often looking very naked they affect things at the the highest highest of levels you know um just because we're trying to um you know emulate something we, we we think is better for something well, what would have been better for him is allowing him to perform Romanian deadlifts. And they're not incorrect, by the way. He, he can correctly perform Romanian deadlifts. If I remember rightly, he was just told to, um, to, I think, bend his knees a little bit more and push his hips back a little bit more. That's just how they wanted him to be doing it. He, he Romanian deadlifts a little bit more like a stiff-legged deadlift, um, but that's what works well for him, and, he, and he's been doing that for years. Um, and again, shifted the technique. He's messed his back up and, and he's out for weeks now. Um, so, yeah, just just a kind of a, a real world example of how it can affect not just your physique, but, um, you know, some 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 big money games and some contracts as well. There, Everyone is built. Part two will be out next week. I know that attention spans are short. So if podcasts do go longer than an hour, I will split it up into bite-sized chunks like I did with Tom's. I don't know whether that was disruptive for you or not, but I hope that you did get what you wanted out of Tom's podcasts. If you would have preferred having it just separated into two or if you do listen to the whole things, just let me know and your feedback is most grateful. If you liked this check the description go follow gareth and share this to someone who can benefit